invite you all to grab your seats. We're going we're gonna to look at the Lord's Word together. Let's just pray as we do that. Father, we come to You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are present here with us in Your Word. And as we look at it today, we pray that You would open our eyes to see what You have for us, that You would work in our hearts, Lord Jesus. So to that end, I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would guide my lips as I speak to these your beloved people. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have been, uh, if those of you who are just with us today, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we are up to chapter 6. going to be looking at just part of verse 9, uh, picking things up in the Lord's Prayer. It has been uh, a long time now, but I still remember the process or some, something of the process of naming our sons as they were born. Um, that's a bit of a big deal, right? A little bit of pressure. You are labeling them. You're giving them a name uh, that, that will stick with them for the rest of their days. It's, it's a name that will be said lots, that you will say lots. You'll say it with different volumes and different tones. You're giving them a label that will get used a lot. And so some people, there are various things you might consider when you're naming a child. Uh, some people consider the, the meaning of the name that they give, and they give names with really significant meaning, which is really cool. We didn't so much think that way. We, we found names based on other things, and so if you look up what our son's names mean, our oldest son, Calvin, Calvin actually means uh, no hair or bald. Our youngest son, Brennan, actually means stinky hair. We lucked out with Nathaniel. He means gift of God. But, but really, we, we didn't think so much about the meanings of names. We had other significant reasons for naming our boys as we did. This morning, uh, as we return to our study of the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we come to the first petition in this prayer. Uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. That's how Jesus teaches us to begin when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, just a few reminders of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is prefaced by the announcement of good news. Uh, that this good news is that in the coming of Jesus, a whole new order has broken into this world. A whole new order of existence breaking into the world. The future spilling into the present. Heaven is invading the earth. I have been contending throughout this series that, that the good news... That when the good news takes hold of a person, when the good news takes root in a community, something happens. And that something that happens is described for us here in the Sermon on the Mount. That something that happens is the creation of a new kind of humanity, gospelized humanity. Men and women with different characteristics. Men and women with a different purpose, with different behaviors, with different motivations. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not giving us a new law, a new set of rules. He's not giving us the old law cranked up on steroids. Jesus is painting a picture. He's painting a picture of what you and I are becoming by the power of the gospel when the Spirit of God is having His way in us. Last Sunday, we began to walk through the, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6-9, to Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches his disciples to pray. In Luke's telling of this, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And this is the prayer that Jesus taught them. This is what Jesus, how Jesus teaches us to pray. 
just a structural reminder about the Lord's Prayer. It has two halves, and each half has three petitions. The first half of the Lord's Prayer, the first three petitions, use the pronoun your. Your name, your kingdom, your will. And then the last half, the last three petitions of the prayer, use the, first, the pronoun our. Our, uh, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. One of the things that Jesus is teaching us just through the very structure of this prayer is that we are to begin with God's agenda. It's not that we don't get to pray about things that are going on in our life, about our needs. We, we, he teaches us to pray for our daily bread. But we begin with the agenda of God, and that will help us get our very real needs in the right perspective. We must remember as well how Jesus teaches us to pray. This then is how you should pray. And we looked at this line of the prayer last week. Our Father in heaven. Heaven, the word heaven speaks to both God's imminence. He is in the heavens. He is around us. But it speaks of His authority. But the language of Father points to the intimacy, God's love for us. He is our Papa. This morning, what we will see as we come back is that we begin with God's agenda. When we come to God's agenda, He wants us to begin, interestingly, not with His kingdom, not with His will, but with His name. I'm going to read the whole prayer to you, and then we will dig into this one phrase in verse 9. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those, have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I, I want to ask three questions with you in the time we have together this morning. Uh, first, what is the significance of names in the Bible. Secondly, what is revealed to us about God through the names that we find in Scripture for God? And third, what does it mean to hallow God's name? So first, the significance of names. I shared a little bit about uh, our process of naming our kids. Uh, the meaning of their names was not really a big part, as I recall at least, uh, of us choosing their names. In, in the Bible, names are far more than just a label that we give someone. Uh, a name stood for who a person was, and a name spoke of, it, it revealed something about that person. It was, uh, Daryl Johnson says, kind of a mini personality profile. A name meant more. A New Testament scholar, Craig Blomberg, writes, name refers to one's person, one's character, one's authority. D.A. Carson says, in the Semitic perspective, a person's name is closely related to what he is or what she is. We see that reality fleshed out for us through the pages of Scripture time after time after time. Remember, uh, think of, of Isaac, Abraham and and Sarah are promised that they will have a son. And uh, there's, they are visited. Uh, they're already quite old. Abraham is about 98. Sarah's 88 at the time, or 99, 80, 90, 89. And uh, divine visitors come, three guests. And, and they say to Abram, in a year from now, we're going to come back, and Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah overhears this. 
And she, she thinks to herself, I'm old and worn out, and, and Abram's old. Really, is, am I going to get this gift, this blessing now? And she laughs. She laughs. But a year later, God has been faithful, and they, she is, gives birth to a son named Isaac, which means laughter. It means laughter. Every time they called his name, they're reminded of this amazing, surprising gift of God in their lives. In 1 Samuel, we encounter a man named Nabal. Nabal means fool, and and we watch in this story as he spectacularly lives up to his name. Uh, David and his band of warriors are out in the wilderness hiding from Saul, and, and they're nearby Nabal. Nabal's a wealthy man. They're nearby his shepherds and his flocks and herds, and the whole time David's men are there, uh, no one hurts Nabal's men. No one takes anything from them. They treat them well. They protect them, and then when a festive time comes, David sends some men to him and says, would you give us something, anything you can find so that we can celebrate, and Nabal says, Who's David that I should give him anything? Completely lack of gratitude or any wisdom. He is a fool. And only because his wife Abigail steps in and saves the day, otherwise David's men would have wiped them out. We see this in the New Testament, the significance of names. When Jesus renames his disciple Simon, he gives him the name Peter, Petros, Rock, signifying the the transforming work of Jesus in him, shaping him to be a leader in the first century church. The author of Proverbs tells us, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Biblically, in the Semitic mindset, to speak of someone's name was a way of speaking about who they were, their character, their personality, their reputation. Far from being merely a label, it carried tremendous significance. Now, with that firmly in mind, think about the name of God. John Stott writes, the name of God is not a combination of letters, G, O, and D. The name stands for the person who bears it, for his character, for his activity. To speak of God's name is to speak about who God is, what God is like, his character, his activity, his authority. Jesus teaches his disciples. He teaches us to pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, uh, may who you are be hallowed. May everything that is true about you be hallowed. Jesus is teaching us to pray for the hallowing of who God is. Now before we consider what hallowing means, let's turn and reflect on the names of God and what that reveals to us. In the book of Exodus, Moses is out in the wilderness caring for his father's flocks and herds. And Moses sees a bush that is on fire, a bush that is burning but not burning up. And he approaches it to to investigate. And as he gets closer, God speaks to him from in that burning bush and says, Moses, the ground you are standing on is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And Moses does, and and God tells him that he's calling him to lead his people out of Egypt. And in the course of that conversation, uh, Moses asks um, if the people ask me who sent me, what am I supposed to tell them? And, and God says, tell them, I am who I am. I am has sent you. We can't dive too deeply into all the details, but from that we get the, the, the covenant name Yahweh or Jehovah. 
the name that shows up throughout Scripture. We may not recognize it in our English translations, but if you look everywhere where you encounter the word Lord in four capital letters, L-O-R-D, in capitals, that is there in place of this name, Yahweh or Jehovah. God is, He identifies Himself as the one who is, the existent one. He is. He is the God who is. But God reveals so much more to us through the pages of Scripture about who He is, often through some of the other names that, that God gives Himself. Nicknames, we might call them. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, given that we see in the story of Isaac, where Isaac is going to be sacrificed, but God provides a ram in the thicket. God is a God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. God, throughout the pages of Scripture, is, is the great physician. He is the one who brings healing, and one day will bring healing from all disease. He will restore all things. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. He is the one who brings peace. Ultimately, we find peace in our relationship with Him through Christ. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Think Psalm 23. He gives rest and refreshment and guidance and provision. Elsewhere, Yahweh is called the rock, our rock, our refuge. He is our hiding place, our help, our shield, our savior, our deliverer, our rescuer. He is the almighty one. He is the God most high. There is none like him. Throughout the pages of scripture, through all kinds of names, God reveals who he is. He reveals what he is like. And most fully, God, Yahweh, reveals Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews writes this, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Yahweh puts on flesh. Yahweh becomes a man. In Jesus, God is present. And in Jesus, we see the glory of who God is. We see His love. We see His holiness. We see His grace, His tenderness. We see who Yahweh is most fully in Jesus. That leads us to our third question. What does it mean to hallow God's name? To hallow something means to treat something as holy. Daryl Johnson says literally it means to holify, if you want to coin a word. It's the same word used elsewhere where we translate sanctify, make holy, set apart. Now that leaves us with a question. God is already holy. God's name, which speaks of who He is, is already holy. So why are we to pray this, uh, make His name holy? I mean, His name is already holy. God is already holy. So what's going on here? Do you remember the prepositional phrase that stands in the middle of this prayer? I, we looked at it last week and I said that that prepositional phrase in the middle of the Lord's prayer goes with the whole prayer, with each petition. So as Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we need to reach for that prepositional phrase in the middle of the prayer and add that. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the clue for us. That's the clue. What does it mean to pray for the hallowing of God's name on earth as it is in heaven? Well, on earth, God's name is not treated as holy. Not as it is in heaven. Not fully. Not by all people. 
There are so many people around us who do not know who God is. There are so many people around us who do not worship and praise and glorify God for who He is. They fail to recognize who He is. They have not heard of who He is or they have rejected who He is. But there are many on earth who do not hallow His name who do not treat God's name, do not treat God, who do not look at Him as holy. Remember, God's name represents the fullness of who He is. His character, His activity, His glory, His power, His goodness, His love, His grace, His majesty. We sang earlier that He is worthy of our praise. He is. And yet so many all around us do not treat Him that way. They do not hallow His name. They do not treat Him as holy. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name on earth as it is in heaven. May may Your name be treated as holy on earth now, in the way that it is treated in heaven now. See, God is for God's glory. God's aim is to reveal His glory in His creation. We encounter that that idea over and over and over in Scripture. Ezekiel 39, I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One of Israel. In 1 Samuel, for the sake of His great name, the Lord will not reject His people. Psalm 23, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Psalm 25, for the sake of Your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. God's aim is to magnify His glory in all the earth. That all the earth, that all of creation would see Him in all His glory and splendor and majesty. And that we would treat Him as holy, that we would worship Him, that we would praise Him, that we would rejoice in who He is. And yet we live in a world where that is not true, where His name is not hallowed. Not by all, not fully, not like God desires it to be. Daryl Johnson says the living God always speaks and acts in ways that honor His name for His name's sake. The deepest passion of God's heart is, is His glory. That was at the heart of Christ's mission. Jesus, in His high priestly prayer, said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. That's what Jesus came for. That's what happened at the cross where where those around them looked at the cross of Jesus and saw defeat. They saw, you don't win by losing, yet in John's Gospel, the cross is the moment of Jesus' enthronement in glory. Because on the cross, we see so completely, so beautifully the character of God. We see God's, God's righteousness, His holiness, His justice. God in His holiness cannot stand sin. Sin must be paid for. It must be punished. But God in His love desired to redeem us, His his creatures, rebels, sinners, those who had rejected Him and walked away. And so on the cross, God provides a sacrifice, one who obeyed fully one who was fully human, fully a man, and He bore the penalty for our sins. 
when God raised him back to life. And so on the cross, we see the glory of God. We see the holiness of God. We see the love, mercy, and grace. We see the greatness of God on the cross. It is the supreme moment of glorification. John Calvin writes this for... In the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God's name would be treated as holy, that God would be treated as holy, that God would be worshipped and glorified and praised on earth as it is in heaven. But I want you to note this. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, let us hallow your name. Jesus teaches us to ask the Father, ask the Father boldly. This is an imperative. Father, would you do what only you can do? Would you hallow your name? Would you make your name known as holy? Would you reveal who you are on earth? Would would you do it in us? Would you do it through us? But Father, would you do this? Would you make your name known to be holy on the earth as it is in heaven? Jesus teaches us to pray. And he tells us to begin here. To begin with the name of of God to begin with the name of Yahweh, with, with who He is, to boldly come to the one who is over all things, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and pray, our Father in heaven, make your name holy, make it known your holiness in all of the earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, this petition means a burning desire that the whole world may bow before God in adoration, in reverence, in praise, in worship, in honor, and in thanksgiving. Is that the passion of our hearts? Would we, as the people of God, fall before Him and cry out and pray, Father, hallowed be Your name. Magnify your glory. Reveal your glory. Reveal your holiness in the earth. Would we boldly and persistently come before Him and pray as Jesus teaches us to pray? A number of months ago, I read a book about art. It's a little bit of a change of direction from most of what I read, but there was, it was a profoundly uh, interesting book. But one of the things that Russ Ramsey wrote about beauty, when we see something beautiful, when we, see, when, we, when we see the glory of who God is, when we see something beautiful, he writes this speaking about art, we ache to share the experience of beauty with others, to look at someone near us and say, do you hear that? Do you see that? How beautiful. We want to share that beauty with others around us? Are we men and women whose eyes are fixed on, on the glory of who God is? That, that the burning desire of our hearts is to share that beauty, that glory with the world around us so that God might, that His name might be hallowed. I want to close with these words from Revelation 7. As I, as I prepared, I just... I thought of this text. 
After this, John writes, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Worship team, would you come and lead us in a song or two to close?